0: We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. Good morning. morning. It's good to see you all this morning. It's good to be in this place together. It's getting warmer in here, isn't it? Um, I'll I'll let you know this. Um, It it just keeps going like this. So one day you'll get up on a Sunday and the pew will just go with you. It'll be stuck. Um, I also want to let you know in relation to that. Uh, over the next several weeks, I think starting next week, it may be the week after, we'll have visitors. You'll see a lot of visitors coming in. Uh, crew is here for several weeks this summer training. And so if you see a lot of visitors over the next uh, six or eight weeks, that's who they will be. I would encourage you to interact with them, love them, care for them, um, get to know those people. They're here to, uh, to tr- for training, but we can serve them. We see that as an opportunity for us to serve, uh, serve a people from across the globe, really. So there's that. All right, grab your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter, or not Psalm chapter, Psalm 10. All right, Psalm 10. So what we're looking at this morning. We've been working through the Psalms over the past few weeks. We'll continue to work through the Psalms uh, through the summer. And as I've said over the weeks um, leading up to this, our desire over the summer, as we are working through the Psalms, is is a few things, but but primarily it's to see more of God to be awakened to his greatness and to experience it. In a lot of ways, we've been praying a lot for renewal and revival among us. So that is what our hope is as we work through the Psalms, is to see more of God, to, um, uh, to be awakened to his greatness, to see his greatness, and, and to, to really experience together as a people renewal and revival. Our desire is to celebrate God. He is a good God worthy of our worship, and so um, that, that's our heart. So this morning we're in Psalm 10. Um, As we said last week, Psalm 9 and 10 are at times smashed together as one psalm, but as I've studied, it it seems as if there are different enough themes in the psalms, in, in these two psalms, to break them apart. And so we'll just look at Psalm 10 this morning. And so, Um, I'd like for us to read together. It's a longer one, and so I've broken it up for us that I'll read a a big chunk of it, and I'm going to give you some to read as well. Um, I'll have your part in red on the screen, all right? So I'm going to ask you, if you're able, to join us in standing as we read this morning. I'm going to turn and read two with you. So your part's in red. I'll read the black, and here is God's word. So read with me. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight, As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O oh Lord, O oh God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to, you will not call to account But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You've been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. Thanks for reading. I love hearing you all read along with me, so thank you. Uh, This morning we come, if you did not recognize, we come to a psalm of lament. Alright, we come to a psalm of lament. It's a dark psalm, a very dark psalm where we are invited in to feel the emotions of the writer. In this case, David. The, the writer, we're invited in to, to feel those emotions. This is what the Psalms do. We get to jump into this circle at different places where our emotions strike high. They show us more of God if we continue on in seeing it. They show us more of God, and they do that through the emotions of the writer. You feel it, don't you? You, you feel that. So many of the Psalms begin with one emotion and then spin out into a different emotion by the end. That's what we see this morning. The Psalm begins with... With really what seems like the Psalmist doubting God, he is doubting God, and from that doubt we see then how the writer pleads with God, he pleads with God, and then really full circle to show this deep confidence in this deep confidence in God, a trust in god 's powerful authority and so we see this full circle that that starts with a doubt or a questioning of, of god and then it spins into this pleading with god and then it circles back to trusting god now, have you experienced that where, where you where you circle through those emotions maybe that's every hour or, or daily you you feel that because of of whatever it is you're facing at the time you you feel that you feel the, the the frustration that begins that doubt, or you feel that the anger, the hurt, or maybe you feel depressed or or anxious, or you fill in the blank of where you land. You feel like you've been given a place in life that you don't deserve. It, can you think of a time like that? Maybe, maybe you can think of, think of lots of examples like that where, where you feel like you're in a place where you've experienced pain and you've been handed, dealt cards that you you don't deserve. Maybe for some of you, you're there right now. I know several of you are facing uh, uh, chronic illnesses some of you facing particularly long bouts of sickness maybe body aches or, or pains maybe you're facing um uh, those things yourself or, or maybe for you it's not you facing it but someone you love deeply is facing those kinds of things it's someone who's close to you and so you feel that burden for, for them uh, on you it, it hurts to see them struggling I've talked to so many of you and so many of us who are wrestling with relational strife, whether that be in your own immediate family or in your workplace, this ongoing, frustrating tension between you and someone else, and you want so badly to be reconciled, you want so badly to see right relationship, you want so badly to, to, to see that, but you just can't gain any traction there. And so you sit in that tension. Maybe that's what you're facing some of you may be facing the hurt and pain from, from a relationship, a bad relationship from several years ago, but for some reason the pain is coming to the surface now, and you feel that that deeply. You, you, you can't seem to shake the thought of it, and, and as it arises, you, you relive that pain. That's hard, It could be that you're not doing well in your marriage. You're not sure what to do. You feel like you've tried everything. You've tried everything to keep your marriage afloat. And on a few occasions, you've almost given up. And you don't really feel like your spouse would care a whole lot if you did. Maybe that's where you are. Those are devastating moments. You feel like you're in a place in life that you don't deserve. You feel that. You feel that, that sort of angst. It may be for, for some of you that you're experiencing loneliness, that, that you don't have a lot of close relationships at all. So this talk about a spouse and how, how your marriage is doing, you don't feel, feel that at all. You don't have a spouse, a significant other, friends, maybe in general. Maybe that's what you're feeling. That, that's extremely difficult. And, and, and it seems as if at, at times you, uh, any effort you put into finding good relationships, that, that doesn't really go anywhere. And, and you just circle back around and it perpetuates this feeling of loneliness. Again, that's hard. Maybe for you, you're in a season of life where you have one financial struggle after another and one um, financial struggle then goes to the next. You have bills to pay and loans to pay off and repairs on your car and, and really unwise financial decision has made its way to a, another unwise financial decision and on top of that, you have the ongoing normal expenses of your life and you just can't seem to get ahead. There are so many. We could go on, right? There are so many hurts and pains that we experience and feel, and maybe you're feeling those right now, even this morning. Maybe for you it's an ongoing sin pattern that you can't seem to shake, and you want to fight against it, but you just have a sense of wanting to give up. So many hurts and pains in this broken world in which we live. There are. It just is that way. In a broken world, we face those things. And when sin entered the world, what happened? Brokenness came with it. And so we live in that. We we live in that tension, the hurt and the pain and the sickness and the hardship and the betrayal and the loneliness and the relational brokenness and the the temptation to fill our desires with things that we ought not to fulfill our our, our desires. Uh, To be honest, at times it's pretty easy to do what? To go straight to a place of doubting God. It's easy to get to that place of of doubting God. These things go Hand in hand at times, don't they? That goes all the way back to the beginning of creation where God created man and woman and put them in the garden. Isn't this how the enemy first tempted the man and the woman in the garden? God told them that they could eat from every tree but one. He places them in a place that is beautiful and perfect and they can enjoy all things, right? So he placed them in Fort Collins, kind of. But anyway, he places them in this place the, there's some relation there, by the way. That's an aside, but, but I think we feel that here. He puts them in a place where he says, this is all for you to enjoy, except for one thing. And, and the enemy grabs onto that and says, did, did God really say that? Did, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree? Now, did you see what the enemy does? He, he twisted that to try to produce what? Doubt to try to produce doubt. And so the enemy goes on to lie about what God has actually said. This has been going on since the beginning. Our enemy wants nothing more than for us to doubt God and then to turn from him. In the the midst of uncertainty and pain and trial, it's easy to go straight to doubting God, isn't it? It's, It's easy to go there. But let me clarify this, and I think we clarified this a a few weeks ago. Let me me clarify something. Our doubting God, our questioning of God may prove to be fruitful if the end result is a deeper reliance and trust in God. So I think we need to grab onto that. Not not just shove it aside and say, well, that's sinful and I've got to turn. Our doubting God may prove to be fruitful if the end result is a deeper reliance on and trust in God. Have we experienced that? Where where you begin in that cycle of doubt, and and then you have to to get to a place of of trusting God, pleading with God, and and then trusting God. Trials occur that that cause you to doubt God's involvement, uh, but then you see, you experience, you believe that he's actually, actually involved involved for your good and his glory, which then turns you from doubt to, to pleading to help and then into a deeper trust in God. That's the cycle that we see in this psalm today. It's the cycle we see. So look at verse one. Here's how David starts. Look at, look at your Bible if you have it open. Verse one, David starts with two questions that show his doubt, show his questioning. He says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or or in other words, why why do you stand and watch all of this go down with no involvement, God? Why do you let this garbage continue? Why do you allow this stuff to to continue to happen? Why are you absent when I need you most? Why? Those are really raw words, aren't they? Uh, Certainly you've been in seasons where you've Maybe not said those things because you think they're off limits, but you've certainly thought those things. You, you've been in seasons where those, those are your questions. I, I mentioned this some last week, but as a family, we've walked through those things and those questions have come to our mind as well. But we've been there. And, and what is the root of those questions? What's the root of those questions? Think about this. Why, why does David ask those kinds of questions? He asks, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Let me explain this, uh, try to help us understand it, it, it in this way. When, when I was younger, I was involved in a lot of things before and after school, right? Um, so I was involved in things uh, before and after school for the purpose of, don't tell my parents this, they're not here in this service, I won't say this in the second one, but um, Because we lived way out in the middle of nowhere, and I had to ride the bus to school, so I knew if I could do things before and after school, I wouldn't have to ride the bus because they'd have to take me because I didn't have a car. Okay, so don't tell them that, but that's why I did it. They thought I was just an overachiever. I was not. Um, so here's what I did. I was involved in cross-country and track and and, and student council. And, and so I had to go to meetings before school and practices after school. And, 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 and I didn't have a car. And so I was reliant on my parents to get me to those places, to those events, those practices, those meetings, those activities. And I just remember once or, or twice um, in in that entire period of time where I was waiting for them. Waiting and waiting and and waiting for them to show up to pick me up and take me home Now this was before the era of cell phones. Some of you didn't know that era existed, but it did This was before the era of cell phones. So I didn't have a way to get a hold of them. So what did I do? I sat and I waited and on a few occasions On those few occasions where they were late now, I would get into the car angry or, or frustrated, just, just frustrated that, that they were late. At, at times, I, I was a, a little bit worried about why they were late, so unsure about where they were and why they were late. The things start going through my minds about why they were late, and, and it may have been at times that I was a, acting like an entitled teenager, right, that they should be there on time when I told them to be there. That, that may have been the case. There, there may have been some of that, but for the most part, Do you know why I was frustrated or angry or or fearful when they were late? Do you know why? Here's why. Because it was not typical of my mom and dad. It wasn't typical. This this did not characterize their actions. It was an abnormal way that that they were were acting, and and it seemed to go against who they were. Does that make sense? So here's where this comes all, uh, all around. When David says... Why, O Lord, do you stand far away, and why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? He's he's saying that from a place of doubt, but not a doubt in the character of God, but in the plan of God. Do you see that? He doesn't doubt the character of God because he knows the character of God is firm, but but he's coming at it from a, a place of doubt in the plan of God. David would not ask those questions if he had not experienced God as a loving and caring, generous, gracious, merciful father. He would not have asked those questions. He wouldn't have said, why, why? Because he knows the character of God. He, he says these things from a place of doubt, not doubt in the character of God, uh, but a doubt in the plan of God because, because of the consistency of God's character. And so he asks, why? Now Do you understand the difference there? It's not a question or a doubt in the character of God. He knows that to be firm. He's he's questioning or or doubting, it seems, the the plan of God. It's as if David is saying, God, I know who you are. I I know you are a God who never leaves or forsakes. Nothing separates me from your love. So I know that's not what you're doing right now. Uh, But whatever your plan is right now sure sure seems as if you are far away and and you're hiding yourself. And, And I think that could be, I think that could be an important prayer for us in our times of trouble, that you just begin confessing what you're feeling. You begin by confessing what you feel, asking questions of God, if that's where you are, asking questions of God, but those questions have got to be coming from a place of understanding his character. I know who you are, God, but it doesn't seem like that, so can I ask you some questions? Where are you? Why are you doing this? Maybe for you it's a prayer like this. God, where are you? I've experienced your presence before, God. I've felt you near before. I know you're a loving and kind and gracious God. I've experienced that, but right now, right now, God, it it feels as if I'm alone in my struggles, and it feels like you've left me to figure this out uh, on my own. I know that's not true, uh, but I confess I'm in a place of doubting your plan in this situation. I think we all too often feel like we can't express our doubts to God as if He doesn't already know them. Right? I think we feel like, well, I can't say that to God. I can't, can't express my doubts to God. That's one of the things, I think, that's so healthy about the Psalms. The writers express their fears and their concerns, and they communicate them to who? Directly to God. They're communicating these things directly to God. That's healthy. What often happens is that because we don't feel like we can communicate our doubts to God, it trickles into other areas of our life. We don't feel like we can communicate our doubts to God, and so we don't communicate them to others either. Have you seen that? And so we shove it all down, and we never talk about, uh, about where we are, and, and we then feel as if we're the only one that struggles with that thing because we just don't talk about it, and no one else does either. This puts up walls between us and community uh, around us. We then do what? What's the next step? We then pull away altogether, right? No one else is like me or struggling with me in these things, and so I've got to pull myself away from that. We've got to distance myself uh, away from that altogether. I'm going to avoid Sunday mornings. I'm going to avoid townships or small groups, and I'm going to avoid one-on-one relationships. I'm going to pull away together and find community with other people who can relate with me a little bit more. That comes from a place of not communicating where we actually are, I think in part. And I think the author of Hebrews tells us um, what we ought to consider. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So do you see what the author is saying? Part of our encouragement of one another is doing what? Being together. It is meeting together, but we won't be encouraged if our meeting together is staged and fake. You do get that, right? We we won't be encouraged if our meeting together is staged and fake. I'm doing fine and and God is good, right? If that's that's not what we believe, why would we say that? Why would we say I'm doing fine and God is good? If that's not what we believe, that's lying and it's not stirring up one another to love and good works. Now listen, that's verse 1 of Psalm 10, right? That's verse 1. Of Psalm 10. That's how he starts this interaction with, with God about where he is. That's verse 1, and, and it's a question to God about his presence. And I think we see the devastating effects of doubting the character of God. That, that affects the nearness with, with him, and it affects relationships with one another. But to be honest and transparent with each other and with God... or or I would say it this way, with God and and then with others, is a move towards health, not away from it. I think we have this lie in our minds, if I confess where I really am, that's unhealthy. No, that's, that's a move toward health. All the way through then, the next 10 verses of Psalm 10, David communicates how he is experiencing his doubt his doubt of God's plan. In verse 1, he asks questions of God, and then he goes on for 10 verses about how he's come to experience God's plan verse 2 the, the wicked arrogant arrogantly go after the poor they, they have schemes to oppress the poor verse 3 the wicked boasts uh, about his desires and curses God verse 4 in arrogance the wicked don't seek God in fact they say there is no God verse 5 the arrogant wicked man seems to have everything going his way sure God you judge but but you're out of sight and out of mind for the wicked he blows off his enemies and then David gets to verse 6 and he quotes the wicked he gives this hypothetical quote of what the wicked may be saying to show us the mentality of those who are against him he says the mentality of the wicked is this i'm confident nothing is going to stop me no one in any generation is going to put a stop to me in my plans that's what the wicked is saying then he goes on in verse seven the arrogant uses his mouth to curse to lie to oppress verse eight he's a predator stalking the weak verse nine he's looking for ways to ambush the poor and take advantage of them verse 10 he does it he he does it the helpless the weak they fall And then verse 11, he circles back around and gives another hypothetical quote to show the mentality of the wicked. God has forgotten these people, the wicked say. God's forgotten these people. He's hidden his face from this. I've got the upper hand here. Your God is weak. Ten verses are are, are exactly why David says in the very beginning, why, Lord, do you distance yourself? Why do you distance yourself and hide yourself when we need you? When we need you. Do you see 10 verses, verse after verse after verse, David's perspective of, of what the wicked are, are doing to those who are weak and oppressed? God, are you going to let this happen? I know your character. I know you won't let this continue forever, but I'm struggling to trust your plan right now. I'm struggling to trust that now. And so, what do you do when you're in that place? I think that's what we ought to consider. When you're in that place of questioning, if you, if you have spent 10 verses long of considering and questioning the, the, the things of God, the plans of God, what do you do when you're in that place? What do you do when you're, you're waiting on God to answer, when you're waiting on God to reveal his plan, if and when he does reveal his plan? And I think we've got to remember that, that we're not entitled to him revealing his plan to us. We're not entitled to that. He doesn't owe us that. But while we wait and while we watch the, the oppression of the weak, which is what David is getting at, When we watch that, what do we do? David tells us we plead with God. We could spiral out of control into doubt, but but we plead with God for help, which is exactly what David shows us in verses 12 through 15. He says, Arise, O Lord, get up, lift up your hand, go to work. Don't, Don't forget the afflicted, don't turn away from those being oppressed. David does exactly what he ought to do in the midst of doubting and questioning God's plan. In the midst of that doubt, he doesn't spiral into more doubting, doubting God's character. He's confident in God's character. That's clear in how he addresses God in verse 12. Oh, Lord. It's clear that he he understands who God is and and what he's about. Oh, Lord, sovereign ruler. Oh, God, respond to this in the ways that are consistent with your character. And so he pleads with God. Verse 12, don't forget the afflicted because you you, you consistently stand up for the oppressed. Verses 13 and 14, God, you see all things. You see the hearts of those who speak against you. You see that. So, So please help those who are helpless. Help the fatherless, help the orphan, those who are oppressed and being taken advantage of. Help them. David continues to plead with God. God, break the arm of the wicked. Now, he's not asking for physical harm. He's saying, stop them. Stop stop the wicked. You, you have a strong and powerful hand to be lifted up against the wicked. Your hand is stronger than their arm. Break it. Stop them. Call this to account until it is put to rest. And so David pleads with God. He, he pleads with God for help, for a response. This is what we must do when there is oppression happening. It's what we must do. Now, now, we started off with all the ways that we're experiencing pain and hurt and, and, and sorrow and, and sin. We, we started that way, and we'll get back to that. But I think we need to look at, at, at something here. This is what we must do when we see oppression happening. We must plead with God whose character will not allow this to continue forever. So we've got to plead. He will not allow the helpless to be oppressed. He will not stand for injustice. He is more powerful than those who are using their powers to oppress the weak. They are cowards, and God will not stand for this kind of injustice this is right up God's alley so David is pleading with God about something he knows God uh, to be taking care of and and while we may not trust or understand God's plan right now we can trust his character and plead that he would respond in consistency with his character and so can I ask this question of us this may be uncomfortable because we are are in a, a, a pretty safe area safe for us to be to be living and acting and carrying out our our happy-go-lucky lives when you see that someone is being treated poorly being oppressed when you see that what is your response what's your response now this could be a, a long discussion and, and about how we, uh, how we walk through the injustices that are, are happening all around us, and, and I think we ought to have that conversation at some point. I don't feel equipped right now to, to have that, but I think it's a question that needs to be asked and, and then at least uh, an answer sought. When you see that someone is being treated poorly, unfairly, what is your response? Let, let's scratch the surface. Do you remember the story that Jesus told in Luke 10 to make the point to the lawyer uh, uh, who was trying to corner Jesus? The, the story was about a man who was walking down the road and was robbed and beaten and left for dead. Do you remember that story? Uh, we, we often call it the Good Samaritan. Uh, a, a few religious officials pass by him. They, they don't respond to his, need, to his need at all. In fact, they go to the other side. Then one who uh, culturally and religiously was an enemy passed by and did what? He took care of the man. He he cared for him physically. He took care of his ongoing needs. He took care of him financially and said he would check back in on him. Took care of his needs. And do you remember the point of the story that Jesus was telling? Here's what the point of the story was. The the point of of the story was, was to follow the command that had already been given. And what was that command? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and what? Your neighbor as yourself. The point of the story in part is this. We are called to respond when we see injustice happening. We're called to respond in caring for those who have faced these injustices. Those who are needy. We're called to care for the poor. Jesus says we're always going to have them with us. So, So we are called to be caring for them. Last week, Eric and I Uh, attended a neighborhood meeting to hear the concerns of our neighbors right around here uh, about our homeless friends we are inviting into our building on Monday evenings in the winter. When when it's cold, we we invite them in for for four hours to have a place to be. And and someone in that meeting, it was a very cordial meeting, it was good for us to meet our, our neighbors, but someone in that meeting asked the question, how long do we plan in this neighborhood to keep this service going? How long does this need to continue? And one of the pastors here in Old Town, he's a good friend, he stood up and addressed their concerns and and did that very, very well. But he said, we plan to continue to serve our homeless friends as long as they are in need and until Jesus returns because he's called us to do that. It, It was a beautiful moment of just hearing that simple truth. That's what we're called to do. In the very least, we've been called to care for those in need. But, but listen, if there are injustices happening, we can labor and fight, and we can, we can go after helping those in need and, and then work with the, the officials in the law to bring about some lawful uh, justice. But this is what we've got to remember. To get back to the psalm, this is what we've got to remember. God is the one we must plead with for help in putting a stop to the enemies who are taking advantage of those who are poor. We've got to start with pleading with God plead with God. Our response must be one of pleading with God for help because we trust his character. We we trust his character. We we may know, we may not know his plan. We we may not know his plan right now. Uh, We may not fully trust it, but we can trust his character and know that he is one who will respond to and, and bring justice. This is what David does in Psalm 10. He pleads with God And so my question back back to us is, are you pleading with God for help in in these ways? Are are you pleading with God that he would make right these injustices? A a big picture. And and then I would say, drill down into your own heart. Are you pleading with God about the place you're in right now? And and your troubles and your struggles and and, and the things that that you are facing? Our response to a God whose character is, is stable is to plead with him that he would help. Isn't this exactly the way Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter six? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray. We pray, we know your character, bring that to bear here on earth. We know it, so bring it here. And as we pray that, here's what often happens. Not always, but here's what often happens. The spirit often changes us. Isn't that true? We're praying that God would change and respond. And in the process of that, what often happens is the, the spirit often changes us, revealing to us that while we may not know God's plan, we, we can trust that he is God. We, we can trust that he is sovereignly ruling, that that's God. And so this is exactly what David does in, in the last verses of chapter 10. Look at, look at verse 16 of Psalm 10. We read this together earlier. I think it's the zinger uh, of the psalm: "The Lord is king forever and ever." Can we trust in that? The, the Lord is king forever and ever. He's king forever, and He will show that in how He responds. It, it may not be in our timing, and it, and it may not fit our plan, but we can trust His character and His power and His rule. He is king forever. And so David tells us, verse 17, he hears the desires of the afflicted and he will strengthen their hearts. Verse 18, he hears the fatherless and the oppressed and he will care for them and come after those who are hurting them. The Lord is king forever. We can trust God because that is who he is. That is who he is and this is who he is promised to be. It's who he's promised to be. So let's bring this all together. Let's bring this all together. Remember, this is who, writing, Come on, you're fall you're falling asleep. Who is this? David. Alright, so this is David writing the psalm. The same David, the same David, who was promised that his throne would reign forever. And what does he say? You're king, you're reigning forever. The same David who, who, is, who has been promised your throne will reign forever. Who, who, would, who would right all wrongs. This is the king that is coming. you right all wrongs and make all things new. The king that was promised where? In Isaiah 9, promised to a people who are walking in darkness. Who are facing the same kinds of things that we're facing. The, the same kinds of struggles and, and, and oppression that we see here in the psalm. This king was promised in Isaiah 9. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, listen can we trust God? Yes. We can trust God because he keeps his promises. That is his character. We will always know his plan in the moment. Now, do you know that right now? Right? Do you know what you're facing right now is, is, is what's going on and, and here's what God is laying out? No, but you can trust that, that God is a loving father who has a plan, a plan not to leave you, a plan not to forsake you, but promises to love you, to bring you into relationship. Why? Because of this son who's coming. Through this son who is coming, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the greater David, the greater king who will reign forever as king, bringing justice and righteousness in his rule forever and ever. So we may doubt God and question God. We may plead with God for help, and all of that must be flowing from a deep understanding and a deep trust that God does have a plan, even though we may not know it. He does have a plan, a loving plan, at least we know this in in part, a loving plan to redeem a people, to restore all things, to make all things new, to, to reign forever. Now, You see what we did we just we just brought you from low low background to celebration this is a psalm of lament it it begins with protest it it begins with doubt right it it, it then goes into pleading that god would respond And, and then a deepening trust that god hears us and cares for us and is ruling and reigning as sovereign and he will respond he will and from there, while it's not explicitly stated here in this psalm, I think implicitly stated and, and, and at least a warranted response is thanksgiving and, and praise and worship and celebration. That, that you may be, at least for a time, experiencing difficult things and God knows those things. And in knowing God's character, your doubt will lead you hopefully to, to plead with God. And because you trust in his character, that will then lead you to, to, to worship God to to celebrate that that he is God coming off that song we we just think there are at least 10,000 reasons to worship God at, at least not least of which is is the fact that he gave his son to to save us and to pay the penalty of our sins not but not just save us but also then to rule and and reign in our hearts but also rule and reign over everything as the victorious king And so even as Psalm 10 begins with questioning and and lament, because we know God's promises for an eternal king to win, we have reasons to celebrate this morning, don't we? We have reasons to to celebrate that we have a God who is king. And so the Psalms draw us in, don't they, to experience God. They, They draw us in to see and to experience the emotions of the writers of these Psalms and then to relate with them in their approach to God. And so I'm going to pray this morning and ask God to continue to work in us and on us to see so much more of him, to draw us into renewal of who he is, seeing that he's ultimately the one who is victorious over oppression and injustice and sin and death through his son. And he's ultimately victorious over the struggles and the pains and the strife that you're feeling right now ultimately victorious. Let's pray. God, we are uh, thankful for your hand working in the life of David to write such um, emotionally driven, um, powerfully driven psalms that then draw us in to experience what he was experiencing so that we could see his approach to you and see so much more of you, that you are a king who reigns forever. Even though we may at times question you, we may at times question your involvement. We may say, why? Why do you stand so far away from me? Why do you remove yourself from me? That's where we may start. But we've also are seeing that David believed that you are a king who's reigning and ruling forever. And so where we don't believe that, I ask that you would help us. Where we want to grab that and take that into our own hand and say, God, you're not acting and so I will, I pray that you would help us. Help us to see that you are a king who's reigning forever and that because of your son who was promised, the the everlasting father, the, the prince of peace, the, the son who was promised, because of him, we have been drawn into relationship. Our, our sins have been paid for, and we can now stand clean in your sight. Because of that, God, I pray that we would then respond in rejoicing and in celebration. Would you do that in us this morning? Where we're not feeling that, would you do that in us, I pray. Amen. Amen.